chapter 18, as we're continuing to go through the book of John, we finished the high priestly prayer this last week, and let me remind you of what that entailed as we were going through that. Of course, Jesus in chapters 13 through 16, we saw that Jesus had his farewell discourse where he was uh, teaching his disciples, teaching us, but teaching his uh, disciples uh, many different things about, again, how the Spirit would come, the Helper would come to live inside of them, that they that he needed to go away. It was going to be better for him to go away so that the Spirit would be in them, that they would have peace, that we would have peace, that we would have joy. He encouraged them and he encourages us to abide in Christ and allow his word to abide in you. As he went into his prayer, we said that the first section of his prayer was about about himself and he was praying that the glory that he had before, that the Father would give it to him again and he would be at the right hand forever in his glory that he had before the world existed. Verses 6 through 19, we talked about how this seemed to be specifically for his disciples, but had some, was a pattern, had some truths for us as well. But he was praying that the Father would keep them in his name, that they would go out, he would send them out, they would preach the gospel, they would be sanctified by his word. And then last week we looked at 20 through 26 where he, he shifts and says, this is an only, I'm not only praying this for my disciples, but I'm praying for everyone who would ever come to faith. And we looked last week at how he prayed for the unity of the body of Christ, that we would be unified not just for the sake of unity, but for our joy and so that the world would know that Jesus came from the Father. And then he said that he would, he has made God's name, who God is, known to us, and he would continue to do that. And he said, I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And that's how he ended his prayer, and that takes us to 18. So I'm going to read aloud. You can follow along quietly, and then we'll work through the text verse by verse. John 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kindron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers, from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell on the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, 
drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Right after Jesus gets done praying, we see a transition, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, which words? Yes, the ones he was praying, but also, again, everything from chapters 13 to 16. When Jesus spoke in these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron. That brook is, uh, is there. It's, it's a seasonal brook, so it's coming and going. Where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered, which seems to say that this garden had a wall around it, most likely. Maybe somebody who was extremely rich had given it to Jesus and his disciples to go to. Jesus and the disciples, they go inside. Now, now we need to be picturing this. If you got to be one of the disciples with Jesus, he gets done telling us all these incredible things from 13 to 16. He then prays for us. We leave. We cross over this little brook. We go into the garden. It's nighttime. Now Judas, verse 2, who betrayed him, notice that John doesn't leave that out, doesn't let him off the hook, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. It's interesting that the one who betrays Jesus, he got to see so much. Unfortunately, there are many in the church today that they don't really love Jesus, but yet they get to see so much and how wonderful he is and how wonderful his people are, but they don't love Jesus. Verse 3, so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers, let me stop there for a second, a band of soldiers, most of the scholars are saying that this could have been as high as a 1,000 soldiers. This was probably not a full band, but maybe something like at least 200, maybe three, 400. So let's kind of picture that. Let's say we'll go right in the middle somewhere around 500, 400, somewhere in there, let's say. And some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. You actually have two groups here. You have the, the Romans that are going, and then you have those who are, who are tied up with the, the Jewish religious leaders of the day. They actually had their own temple court. They had their own guards because they had their own laws. So you have these two groups, roughly, let's say again, 400, 500 people going out to find Jesus. How aggressive has Jesus been throughout the Gospel of John? How dangerous has he been? But they have seen and heard of his power. So they went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, again, this time of year, it's, it's, not, it's not rare for the fact that there would be more soldiers in Jerusalem. We had the Passover, so, it, again, to stop riots and things like that, they would have had a lot of soldiers around. But they go out. If they need lanterns and torches, again, what time of day is it? It's nighttime. This, par this could partly be so that way there's not a big revolt. 
But I would also encourage you to think about this, that when you're going to do something terrible, when you're going to do something really evil, you like to do that at night. Why is that? Why in our sin do we like to be in the dark? Or why do we like it to be hidden? Because we know it's wrong. And there's guilt and there's some shame. And this is the same for us. We hide our sin. Or at least we think we do. But God always sees it. So they're going out and notice they have weapons. Marching along, going to look for Jesus. And then verse 4. And this should absolutely blow your mind. Then Jesus, knowing some of the things that were going to happen to him, then Jesus, not having a clue what was going to happen, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. Does that mean he knows that Judas is coming to betray him? Does this mean that he knows that he is going to be punched in the face? Spit on, mocked, ridiculed, made fun of. Does he know that he's going to be whipped? A crown of thorns? <laughs> Does he know that he's going to have to carry that bloody cross? Does he know that he's going to be pierced and put on it? Does he know that he's going to die? So look what he does. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, ran and hid. No, he doesn't. This is remarkable, friends. Knowing all that would happen to him, he came forward to them and said to them, whom do you seek? He knows. He knows exactly. He knows everything. He knows all things. He knows what's going on. He asks them, and I believe part of it is, So they can see, we can see this plan unfold. Because again, if this was just happening in the hearts, we don't get to see it. When it plays out, we see it. Whom do you seek? First thing I want to say to you is, at the back of your bulletins, I have a few things for you there. He knows all that's going to happen. And so the first one I have for you here, there's some things to fill in. Jesus is always in control and willingly does the will of his Father. Always. There is never a second that Jesus is not in control. Scripture tells us that he holds all things together. So, to the second thing on your sermon notes. If God is good, which he is, if he knows all things, like it says here about Jesus that are happening, if he knows all things and if he's in control, then guess what? You never have to fear. Jesus was not scared in this situation. He was not scared. He did not have fear. If God is good, all-knowing, and in control, then brothers and sisters, you never have to fear. Let's see how it continues. Whom do you seek? Verse 5. 
They answered him. Your translations are going to say Jesus of Nazareth. More directly, it would be Jesus the Nazarene. And I believe that this is actually a bit of an insult. Not that he's not from Nazareth. But John has been going throughout. As we've been going through John, he has been showing us that Jesus is God. He has been showing us that the miracles he's been performing, the signs that he's been doing have pointed to the fact that he is the Son of God. And they say this in a unique way. Jesus, the Nazarene. Focusing on the humanity of Jesus. Even though he is truly human, fully human, he is also fully God, truly God. And so here's how he responds. He could have said, yep, that's me. But he didn't. Jesus said to them, I am. We've talked about that multiple times throughout the Gospel of John. I know your translations have he in there. In the Greek, it doesn't have that. He just says, I am. And when God reveals himself, as Jesus reveals, here's what John says happens. Judas, who betrayed him, making sure Judas is still in there. He was standing with them. When Jesus, verse 6, said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. 500, 400 soldiers with their torches, with their lanterns, with their weapons, they're there. Where's this Jesus? And he comes walking out. Hey, guys. What's going on? Who are you looking for? He's in control. And he walks out and he says, I am. And they fall down to the ground. And I don't think this is them worshiping him. This is them having at least some glimpse of the sun and him putting them in their place. But here's what's interesting. They should have stayed down and worshiped. And he allows him, he allows them in his grace to continue to live. Make no mistake, at any point he could have called angels down and it could have been over like that. He allows them to live. They, fell, they drew back and fell on the ground. So he asked them again. <laughs> Guys, who are you looking for? Whom do you seek? They had the chance right here, but they respond the same way. Jesus of Nazareth. Number three on your sermon notes. Know this for sure, that when the great I am is revealed to all, all will fall and they will worship. On that last day, you still are not worshiping him if you if he has revealed some of who he is if you've been in here you've heard the word and you have fallen back and then you say you know what i'm going to keep doing what i'm doing then you on that last day you will fall and you will worship and i don't want that for you in the sense of you fall and you don't worship willingly worship now willingly cry out to him see who he is not some poor guy who lived 2,000 years ago who was a pretty good teacher and people liked him. He's the son of God who died for you. Cry out to him. They did not. 
So, here's what Jesus says now. Jesus answered, verse 8, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. See what he does? He's in control. He's saying, you want me? That's who you're looking for? He's going to still look out for his disciples. He's not focused on himself. What's so interesting is we're called to be like Jesus, and we always focus on ourselves. We're constantly focusing on us. What Jesus does is he focuses on others. And the more that we look like Jesus, the more we should care and love for others. Let these men go. Verse 9, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you have given me. I have lost not one. We see something physically happening here where he says, I'm going to protect them. I'm going to save them because that's part of the plan. Number four on your notes, Jesus saving his disciples from being arrested and put to death is a picture of his saving you and me from our bondage and death. He saves them physically, but of course, he's going to the cross to save them spiritually, to save us. I wonder if they're going to obey him. I wonder if these Roman guards are going to obey this one guy when he says, take me, not them. But first, somebody else jumps into the scene. Quick question. Does it seem like Jesus has things under control at this point? He does. Let me encourage you. He always has things under control. But let me also encourage you that we are a lot like the next person about to step up. Jesus is saying, this is happening. John's explaining to us, this is to fulfill the word that had spoken. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant. Interesting there, he doesn't attack one of the soldiers in particular. He <laughs> attacks the servant that was there. But it is the high priest's servant. And cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. I'm going to need a volunteer this morning. Mr. Roy. I know you were hoping for this today. Are you guys okay with Roy being the volunteer this morning? <laughs> so this probably wasn't a huge sword. It seems that this was a, a sword, a dagger, if you will, something. Maybe not my wife's kitchen knife but anyway under under his cloak or whatnot and Peter pulls it out and goes to work now John's the only gospel that mentions that this is Peter and what and the guy that was hit Malchus the other gospels don't mention who it was so he goes out and he swings <laughs> brother he swings at him and he's he's a fisherman not a soldier so he misses and he takes off, what would it be, right about, I'm being very careful. careful. <laughs> right there, he takes off the ear. I'm going to give you, well, I'm going to sit it here. <laughs> Stay there for a second. I want you to do something. All right, I'd like you to do something. Go ahead. 
I want you to do something. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I don't want you to do that. Oh. No, not not that. All right, do me a favor. Turn this way. Yeah. Stick your fingers in your ears, and I'm going to talk to them, and you kind of just mumble for a second. <laughs> Go ahead, mumble kind of so you don't hear. Can you hear me? Can you hear me right now? Can you hear me? <laughs> All right, so what I would like him to do is I want him to put these things back in the bag. That's all I want him to do. I don't want him to cut anything. I just want him to put it back in the bag. He was trying to figure out on his own what to do. Didn't know what to do. Okay, you ready? Good. Oh, so you didn't even have to do that. Fantastic. All right. I've now said what I would like you to do. Go ahead. <laughs> good, good. Let's say. If you want to. Okay. What else would you do? Okay. Something like that. Congregation, what do I actually just want him to do? <laughs> Would you mind putting those back in the bag for me? That's all I want you to do. I took them out. I, I'd like I've some. Got this far, so I'll you can have that. Go ahead and put them back in the bag real quick. Right. Those things. That, the knife, too. Just be careful. Thank you. And this is up here. Thank you. Go ahead and give him a hand. You can sit down. five on your notes says we like Peter are often passionate and wrong we often like Peter are passionate and wrong as I pull that stuff out if I don't tell him anything he starts to think about what he's supposed to do he even sees it the way that he thinks now I may speak but if he's not listening He's not going to be able to hear what he's supposed to do. Makes sense. You got a banana that's been cut. You got some fruit, a knife. To our eyes, it would make sense that, we, that he needs to cut that. But that's not what I want him to do. This is Peter. Brothers and sisters, this is you and this is me. So often we see things with our limited eyes. We hear things with our limited ears, and we look at a situation, and we say, ah, this is what I need to do. And we have not gone in prayer. We have not gone to his word to listen to know what it is we're supposed to do. Because believe it or not, many times the things that God wants us to do, they don't make sense to the human eye. What's interesting about Peter's situation is if you remember, I know it's, we've been going through John, and so it's been a long time since this happened as far as the preaching, but it hasn't been 
long when it comes to the time frame. In chapter 13, if you'll remember, Jesus foretells that Peter's going to what? You remember? He's going to deny Jesus. This is only a few hours before. For us, a few months. But that's why we have to remember the context. Peter had just heard a few hours before, you're going to deny me. A few hours later, here comes 300, 400, 500 soldiers. And Peter says, here's my chance. Here's, I'm not going to deny you, Lord. Mm-mm, you thought I was going to. But I'm not going to do it. And he pulls out the sword. And even though Jesus had it completely under control, and Jesus knew everything that was about to happen, Peter pulls out and he goes to work. He cuts off the servant's poor ear. What's interesting is John doesn't even mention that he heals it. John doesn't mention that. The other Gospels mention that Jesus actually heals it. The reason I think that John doesn't mention it is honestly with what John's doing, it doesn't matter. It's not that important because here's the thing. You would think, okay, Jeff, military, you're going. Those who've served in the military, you get four or 500 soldiers ready for battle with weapons and somebody starts cutting off ears. It's about to get crazy. They're going to attack. Not if Jesus is there. Not if Jesus is in control. You can swing a, a weapon Take off an ear, Jesus says, you can take me. You leave these guys alone. He's showing that he is in control. Brothers and sisters, we need to be very careful that we don't allow things to drive us that are not the word of God and the spirit of God to do or think certain things. Make sense? Okay. Let's finish up here. Verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus knows everything. He knows that he's supposed to go to the cross. And this cup mentioned throughout Scripture over and over again is the cup of God's wrath. It's the cup of God's wrath. And he's saying, I'm supposed to go drink this cup. I'm supposed to go drink all of it. It's actually why in this garden, a little bit earlier, John doesn't have it. It's interesting. But when he prays, he actually prays and he says, Father, if this this cup could be removed from me, but not my will, your will be done. What cup is he talking about? It's the wrath of God coming on him. He's not scared of a Roman soldier. But the idea of the sinfulness, the sin that we have coming on, on Christ, what that does with the relationship of the Father, with the Father, that's what he's thinking about when he says that in the garden. But after he prays, we see this scene happening, and Jesus says, put it away. I'm supposed to drink the cup my Father's given me. Everything the Father tells me to do, I do it. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Did his disciples get arrested? First, verse 13, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Interesting. You don't go straight to the high priest. You go to the father-in-law. That's because this guy seems to be the puppet master behind the scenes. He was high priest before, and it seems like he didn't want to let go of this power. Again, this is being done at night. It's being hidden. 
verse 14. This is where we'll end. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. That's back in John 11. John 11, they were talking about, we got to get rid of this Jesus guy. What are we going to do? How should we handle this? And the high priest, the godliest guy around, says, it's a good thing. Instead of this kind of revolt happening and the Romans coming in and taking away our temple and our power and doing things, it's a good thing that we should just kill this Jesus guy. What's interesting, if you go back to John 11, what's actually said there is he's speaking. It's good for one man to die for the nation. What God was doing was actually he was prophesying. God was speaking through him, saying it is good that one man would die for the nation. And then in parentheses, all nations. They take him away, and John's reminding us of that moment. They take Jesus away. And this is the last thing on your list. Jesus drinks the full cup of God's wrath so that he could be the one to die for the many. When I say the full cup of God's wrath, here's what I'll end with. Jesus says, he has different sayings when he's on the cross, and one of those is just before he dies, he looks up and he says, it is it is finished. If you are a believer here today, listen carefully, you need to rejoice and praise your God because Jesus has finished the cup of wrath that God had over you. He drank it up completely for you and then in turn gives you his righteousness. If you're here and you do not know Jesus, I have one verse I want to read to you. It's out of the book of Revelation. This is for believers. Rejoice that this isn't you. If you have not put your trust in Christ, listen to this. This is talking about the different seals, but the the point is in here. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the ones with and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The next chapter goes in to talk about those who can stand. It's those who have trusted in Christ. If you're here, don't let that be you. Trust in the Lamb who has drank the cup of wrath for you. Amen? Amen.